Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. In 2003, I dropped out, went hitchhiking west with a friend, ran out of money, After being homeless in Vancouver for a bit and burning every bridge possible, we somehow managed to make it to Nanaimo. Because I was a terrible person at the time, I managed to get thrown out of the last place that we had to stay, a house that was in a small community, a three-hour walk outside of the city past Nickel Street. The house backed onto Weyerhauser logging land and was owned by a distant relative of my travelling partner. We had been working as roadies or groupies for this girl power punk band from Nanaimo called We've Been Had, and I had snuck one of them into the house and just, well, made a mess of everything. So my friend was angry at me. The band was also angry at me, and I'm certain two of them specifically wanted me dead. So to put a long story short, I'm homeless, broke, three hours outside of the city, and... I turned towards the forest and walked into it. I had two bags of tomatoes, a bag of Wonder Bread and some mayo. I also had a tent, a crank-powered lantern, a hitchhiker's backpack with an aluminium frame and a bunch of weed. During the day, I would just wander around the forest. There was a massive open area about an hour's hike away from my camp where you could sit on a cliff face and see for miles around down into the forested valley. It was a bit like nature's TV, I guess you could call it. I would go there in the morning, usually freezing my butt off, and the sun would warm the cliff face as it got closer to noon, and I would warm up with it and just sit, get stoned, and watch the crags for wildlife. It was a bizarre and foreign feeling to me, 
being thousands of kilometers away from anyone who cared about me back home, Canada really is immense. And then this new layer of isolation from everyone on the island after I messed everything up yet again. I felt almost monastic. Like if I were to perish in these woods, it would be a just punishment or some sort of atonement, I guess. Anyway, I ate the food that I had sparingly and did whatever drugs that I had with me. Eventually, my friend forgave me enough to hike to my camp and visit, bringing stuff that he had stolen or busked for. Previously, we'd been working for a bit for this shady couple who made jewelry, and they were somehow connected to the local Hells Angels chapter. The whole community in the outskirts of this place was at the time, apparently. We would work buffing wheels all day, get a ton of metal flakes flung at us, no protection or anything. I remember being offered a job living in a grow house, it came with a Honda Civic, an Xbox apparently, and free cable. We turned it down though, and after that, I started to feel a sense of hostility from the locals. Which was another great addition to my now paranoia that I was living deep in the woods with. I would see a few animals every day while just sitting on the bluffs. I was too high and too far away to be noticed anyway. I saw bears and cougars, which made me nervous, I must admit. I had a knife, but it was small, so I made spears out of sturdy branches and spent a lot of sleepless nights clutching them in my tent like an idiot. It had been what felt like a month, I guess, or more maybe, when it first happened. So as I was about to head back to my camp with the last hour of sunlight, I saw a man standing on a rocky outcropping far across the crags. I could tell that he was heavily bared and shirtless and that... He had a bit of a red mark on him near the left hand, I think. Either blood or a swath of fabric or something, but not much else from the distance that I was at. But one thing that I did notice was that he had a log in his left hand. Not a walking stick or a staff, like a full-sized log. I watched him standing there almost frozen until his head moved ever so slightly like he was looking towards me. And at that... I just booked it back to camp, sort of terrified. That night, I really didn't sleep much, and when I got the courage to hike back a few days later, I was relieved that there didn't seem to be any sign of him. That is, until one hour before sunset when he showed up again. Same spot, same shirtless bearded guy dragging a full log in his left hand on a stone bluff a thousand meters away. And something about the way that he moved or didn't maybe, even from the distance that I was at, was deeply unsettling and I wasn't about to get the hills have eyed, so I walked back, I decided that I would leave the next morning, head back home, somehow. But what followed was two of the most surreal and terrifying nights of my entire life. You see, I returned back to camp late and it was getting cloudy so there was almost no light. I didn't have a flashlight, but I had a Coleman crank lantern that I would leave at camp, again like an idiot. This time I barely made it back before it was pitch black. I could see my camp very well, but something about it just felt off. That's when I noticed that the tent zipper was open, which could have easily been my fault as I had done that before, but... This time it was unzipped so much I had to fish around in the tent flaps to dig the zipper out. 
and when I finally got it free, I heard a scraping sound. Something definitely not natural, and it was coming from the direction of the animal trail. I leapt into my tent, freaking out. I grabbed the crank lantern, and I started reefing on it, as I can still hear this deep, bassy scraping sound. I'm turning this crank, and the lantern won't light up. I can still hear the scraping, but it also started to rain, and the raindrops on the tent sounded so loud for some reason that I'm getting sort of disorientated and more freaked out. I can't see anything, and now I also can't hear anything. The lantern too, which had worked every night since I'd been in this place, just all of a sudden refused to work. It was pitch black and raining. My tent at that time was already full of holes from nights spent using it like a sleeping bag on the cement highway shoulders. If you've ever hitched, then you'll understand this. And in the alleyways of Granville too, so it was also soaked on the inside. I remember just feeling so defeated and desperate in that moment that I just sort of sobbed and fell back into my gear with the flaps still slightly askew. It could have been exhaustion, drugs, or accumulated trauma, I don't know, but that night, I swear to you that I heard voices in the forest. Voices and the constant sound of that deep scraping. The voices, if they were speaking a language, I had no idea what it was, but I felt a, an accusatory and angry energy, as if the voices belonged to maybe demonic... I know, that sounds crazy, like something people summoned up that I had messed with. Something in my head convinced me that this was the case and I began to spiral alone in the dark and the rain. I didn't sleep that night, obviously. I wanted to make it to the morning light so that I could make my way out of this place and back to the outskirts. But when morning came, it was raining so hard that... I just couldn't leave and by then I was so tired that I thought that I would rest for a couple of hours and see if the rain would pass but when I woke up it was almost dark again and it was at this time that I really began to panic. I couldn't tell what hour of the day it was because of the clouds and stuff and I wasn't sure if I wanted to risk hiking back through the muddy animal trail to the outskirts anyway but I packed up my gear and decided that I would leave the tent as it was basically ruined anyway. I started walking back, but it got dark a lot faster than I thought it would. It was also really difficult because of the rain and all I had to wear were these terrible black sandals that were super heavy with mud now. And I must have got about 30 minutes from my camp when I heard the scraping sound again coming from what I perceived to be further up the path. It was at this that I just completely lost it, freaked out, and began to run back towards my camp. It was dark again by the time that I got back and I could hear the voices again. I zipped up the tent and spent the next few hours shivering in the puddle of water that had accumulated on the bottom of the tent. I was convinced that these voices and sounds were being manifested by my stress, but Somehow, while I could convince my mind, I just couldn't convince my body that this was the case. I felt paralyzed and I honestly felt like I was about to die. I must have fallen in and out of sleep though because when I woke up again, it was pitch black outside but the rain had stopped. And there was just a real eerie sense of a lack of sound. 
My chest felt clenched, like I was having a heart attack, but somehow I managed to unzip the tent front and look out. The Coleman lantern miraculously had started working, so I cranked it a bit more and I looked around. And man, it was so quiet. I've never been in such a quiet forest before, in fact. I remember it being so insanely quiet that I started questioning it, in fact. And there was a mist from all the rain as well, and it was just super, super eerie. But it was at this point that I noticed, sitting in front of my tent, was a long, thick log. One end of it was in a pool of water, and I could have sworn that it had stained the ground red with something. I ran, leaving a bunch of stuff behind, for hours, all the way to the highway in the early morning. I really don't remember who found me, but I ended up in the cop shop eventually, and at that point, honestly, it was like walking into heaven. Two days later, I heard about a girl that I knew who was going east, and she offered me a ride. She was running from something too, probably a dude, but I don't know. We did Nanaimo to the prairies in like 24 hours non-stop, including the ferry ride as well, because at that point... I just wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This story takes place back in April of 2018. I live on Long Island and was in freshman year of high school. I was going through a, a tough time. Earlier in the week, my girlfriend broke up with me because of rumors that she heard about me, which I won't share here, but there was a lot of drama going around in my life at the time. Depression, broken hearts, you know, typical high school stuff. My mom knew that I was down in the dumps, so one night she took me to get a new phone in the nearby mall. I had an iPhone 5 at the time, going on to an iPhone 8, so I needed a new one. We were gone for about an hour, I would guess. We returned home with my dog greeting us. And let me tell you something about my dog. He's a short, stocky golden retriever who's never violent or vicious in any way. This is important for later as well. My dad was still at work, so it was my duty to take out the trash. I went through the front door with my dog resting on the porch and went to the side of my house to throw out the trash. When I was throwing out the bag, I look over to my neighbor's house where I saw a guy dressed in all black, around six foot, walking out of their side door. 
Being a paranoid 14-year-old, I had a lot of red flags going off. Also, my neighbors and my neighborhood, I live in a safe neighborhood, but not 15 minutes away from walking distance, we live by a town that has high crime rates, ranging from muggings, drug dealings, and even murders from time to time. My neighbors have an older stepson who drag races a lot in the part of the town, so for some stupid reason, I wasn't in flight or fight mode yet because I was assuming that this could be one of his friends. Stupid of me, I know. Until there was another man, and then another one. There were six of these guys, all dressed in black, coming out of the house and from the backyard. It was then that I knew what was going on, so I tried walking away, acting like I saw nothing. When I was on my driveway, I saw two of the guys slowly walking towards me, and my blood instantly went cold. They were getting closer and closer before my dog came bolting off the porch, chasing six men down the street, and my dog came back. I was still standing on my driveway trying to process what I just saw. I went back inside with my mom asking what just happened. I told her what I saw with the six men coming out of the neighbor's house and heading towards me. And at that, she called the police and they came over to ask me questions. I described the six men as best as I could. The police told us that we weren't the first to experience this as there were apparently seven burglaries all over the town at the time and I probably just witnessed them attempting to break in. I told the officers about two of the six guys walking toward me after I saw them, and they told me that since I saw them, they were trying to, I guess, stop witnesses. And that was basically a friendly way of them saying that the burglars were probably going to kill me since I saw what they were doing. As typical as this could get, the best they could do was a police report. I was always afraid of break-ins, but... I never thought that I would ever experience one. To this day, I'm still surprised how my harmless golden retriever probably saved my life that night. And it showed me that no matter where you are in this world, this stuff can happen. Four years have gone by, my family now owns a gun, and I'm currently training in kickboxing for self-defense. I don't know if I'll ever have to use it, but I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. My hometown is pretty small, so small in fact that I ran into this guy on three separate occasions. I remember being eight or maybe nine when this happened. So my younger brother, R and I, we had stayed behind in the previous aisle playing with the small toy section. My mum had immediately called for us to follow her. R and I ran back to the shelf, threw our toys down and ran as fast as we could down the aisle. But we rounded the corner. He rounded it tighter than I did. I was able to keep running on. I, however, ended up running into this tall, big, burly man. He just stared down at me. And even at that age, I remember thinking that he looked like he wasn't completely there. He didn't talk to me, and the look on his face was just weird. In any case, I apologized, and I ran back to my mum. For the rest of the time at the market, I remember constantly seeing him around too. He'd be at either end of the aisle or he would sort of cross the market, always looking my way. And his stare, 
his stare just made my skin crawl. When we exited the market, he was standing at the door just staring at me. I've had so many nightmares of this market too. I can still remember the cold grey concrete flooring and the exact layout. It terrifies me just thinking about it. I had begged my mum for us to never go there and I remember either always staying home if she went there or she would avoid that market if I was with her. But I saw him twice after this. This time, I was 12. So my mum and I had went to a fast food restaurant that was in the shape of an L, except sort of flipped. The shorter part of the restaurant was the cashier part and the longer was the seating. There were two entrances, one at the end of the sort of straight section and one right in the corner where the flat section meets the straight section. I hope that makes sense. But we had parked and entered at the top of the L. We sat down right near the door and she said that she would go order the food. As she's walking away, I see the door at the other end swing open and in walks the same man from the market. And he looked exactly the same as I remembered in my nightmare. He was headed to the cashier when he turned his head and looked down the aisle. He looked at me and immediately changed course. Now, he was headed straight to me. He took a seat two tables ahead of me. He sat so that we were directly facing each other. I grabbed my mum and I told her that I didn't want her to go. I told her that that was the man that I hated so much, the one who had terrified me when I was a little kid. We sat there for a few minutes while she calmed me down and told me that we would just quickly get up and head straight for the car. I remember I looked at her and then I saw his head poked to the side of her, which means that he wanted me to see him. He had that same look on his face too. His eyes were wide open and he looked sort of slack-jawed. After that, we quickly got up and we left that place. The last time that I saw him, I'm not sure what age I was to be honest, maybe around 12 or so, maybe a little bit older, but we had emerged into the freeway as I looked to my left and I see the man is driving. He looked over at me, immediately smiling when he saw my face. I told my mum that he was driving next to us and she quickly got off the next turn, drove all around the town so that he wouldn't be able to keep up with us. At the time, I wasn't sure if he was following us, but asking my mum years later, she confirmed that he followed us all around the town for quite some time. I'm glad that I don't really remember much of that, but I think it was because my mum had told me to keep my head down. But I can still see him clear as day. I remember running into him. I remember the fear and the fright that he gave me. I think what scared me the most, though, about him was that he just looked really off. Like, there was no line that he wouldn't cross to come and take me. He had no issue staring right into my eyes, in front of other people, letting me know that he... he wanted me. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. 
Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This happened way back in October of 2006. At that time, I was just a 19-year-old kid, always on the lookout for adventure. And one Friday night, after wrapping up my shift at McDonald's, I met up with some friends who suggested that we checked out this haunted location called White's Bridge. My one buddy Brandon said that he had recently learned about it and began telling us the legends associated with the 100-year-old wood-covered bridge. Never one to turn down a spooky experience though, we all piled into my green Ford Taurus and headed out on our journey. Brandon gave directions, guiding me off the main road, and within minutes we were on the dirt back roads surrounded by woods and cornfields. Our only point of reference was a blinking cell tower off in the distance, we could tell that we were getting further from the city as our cell phones began slowly losing service. As we rode deeper and deeper into what legitimately felt like absolutely middle of nowhere, Brandon repeated the legend associated with the bridge. You see, back in the early 1900s, a local farmer discovered that his beloved wife had been cheating on him, and in a fit of rage, he, well, you get the story... After committing the act, the farmer left his home and wandered the dirt roads in a daze. He eventually came upon White's Bridge where the realization of what he had done finally began to sink in and he decided that he would rather not live than face the consequences of his actions. As far as I can tell now, the story is complete fiction, but at the time we totally believed it. So after a long and bumpy ride, Brendan instructed me to turn right on an off-road. I wouldn't have even noticed was there, to be honest, had he not pointed it out. I took the turn, and there before us was White's Bridge. It looked like something straight out of a horror film, if I'm being honest. An old wood-covered bridge, aged by time, sitting alone above a river deep in the middle of nowhere. We parked the car on the side of the road, and we got out to explore. Immediately catching our eyes, though, was a scarecrow lying abandoned at the entrance to the bridge. My friend Mike, who was known as somewhat of a risk-taker, and a stupid one at that, picked up the scarecrow and then lit it on fire, of all things. The hay body burst up into a ball of flames, and Mike waved it around proudly next to the old dry wood bridge. Quickly realizing the risk, too, I told him to throw the stupid thing into the river and put it out which thankfully he did. After making sure that there weren't any rogue embers that could ignite the bridge, Brandon suggested that we get back into the car and pull it onto the bridge. He explained that the legend was that if you parked your car in the middle of the bridge, put it into neutral and then shut off the engine, the spirit of the dead farmer would push the vehicle forward to get it off the bridge. So naturally, we had to try this. We piled back in and did exactly as he said. 
We parked halfway across the rickety old bridge and killed the engine. We sat in the pitch black, saying nothing, waiting for something, anything to happen. The only sounds were the creaking of the bridge, the river flowing beneath us, and then footsteps. Suddenly, the back driver's door side opens and a woman abruptly enters the back seat, cramming in next to my two friends back there. She looked to be in her late 20s, early 30s, long straight black hair, slim and wearing a red plate shirt and blue jeans. I saw your fire signal for me, she said. Uh, what? Wait, I replied, totally freaked out and at a complete loss for words to be honest. I'm so glad you came. My boyfriend's car broke down, down that way. I need a ride back. My brain was doing its best to compute the situation. Uh, what? Uh, what? I'm sorry, but who are you? I asked. What are you doing out here? I told you, she responded curtly. My boyfriend's car broke down over there. Can you please just give me a ride so I don't have to walk all the way back? She was pointed ahead towards a narrow road that forked off to the right on the other side of the bridge. My friend Mike, the scarecrow burner, and ever the gentleman added, I mean, if you need a place to stay, you're more than welcome to come crash at my place. I got plenty of drink and... I interrupted him. No lady, listen, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. You just got in my car and this is all really weird. You could be an axe murderer for all I know and... I'm sorry, you've got to get out, alright? She glared at me in the review mirror. And if looks could kill, I would have been done for. But you signaled for me, she responded in an irritated tone. We weren't signaling for you, alright? Just get out. She let out an angry sigh and got out, walking back in the direction from which she came and disappearing into the night. I started the engine right up and looked at my friends, and they all had looks of disbelief on their face. Without saying a word, I put the car in drive and slowly rolled forward and off the bridge. We needed to turn around and go back across the bridge to get back to where we had come from. And the only way to do that was to pull onto the side road that the woman said her boyfriend's car had broken down on and then reverse. As I pulled onto the side road, my headlights illuminated the three post-it signs that I hadn't been able to see from the bridge... No trespassing, private property, and do not enter. And looking up the road, there was suddenly no sign of the woman anywhere. And quite honestly, it was as if she just had literally vanished. I didn't want to stick around, so I backed up and crossed the bridge again. And from there began the journey home. We really didn't have much to say on the ride home, to be honest. I think we all just were equally stunned. Except for Mike, who asked if he knew anyone that would be awake at this hour that he could score some weed from. I visited White's Bridge a couple of times after that, but nothing of note ever happened in my subsequent visits. Sadly, some delinquents burned down the old White's Bridge some years ago. It was rebuilt, but from what I hear, it's just not the same as the original. I don't have any plans to go back and check it out, but... It was an interesting experience, to say the least. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... 
Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. For the past four years, I've worked as a funeral director and embalmer at two different locations and separate buildings. In my line of work, of course the nature of the work would be unsettling to most, I suppose you could say, especially the aspect of the tasks completed on the descendants themselves. As an embalmer, I've performed some gruesome actions, all for the betterment of someone's loved one's appearance and their expectations during the viewing, during their visitation period. But I'm telling you all of this to set the stage that I'm definitely not scared easily from the unsettling and I've had a rock solid stomach that could handle any smell or sight that we come across that any embalmer will see at some point. As there are two locations though that I frequently visited for my work, I'll label them one and two, just for simplicity's sake. So, the first location. Coming back from a death call at a hospital at 2am into a 130-year-old funeral home with a descendant in the back of the van seems creepy enough to most, but it's the reality that most people don't realise is a fairly common occurrence. My first major encounter happened sometime after I arrived to the funeral home and starting my normal embalming procedures. During the procedures, of course, I'm not paying extreme attention to my surroundings of the room, but I had noticed just a sort of nausea of chill that wasn't normal, as I'd embalmed many times before and never noticed anything like this. I just shrugged it off, though, and continued on. But after I had completed, I walked into a casket showroom, which is directly next to the embalming room, and flipped on the lights... And in the corner, next to the end of two caskets, was what I can only describe as a black mist that seemed to sort of dissipate into the corner of the room. Plain as day, in the fully lit room, I was absolutely rocked by this realization that me and this descendant were not alone in the funeral home. Someone or something had been watching me the entire time. The second occurrence was when I was leaving one night around 11pm after a long day of death calls and funerals. Every evening when we leave we would go from room to room and make sure every light is off to save on the electric bill. I had sat down in my car and looked up into one of the rooms on the second level and I had noticed that I had left a lamp on. I decided to not go back in and get it in the morning. No big deal, right? Yeah, I wish... The specific room was the location manager's office and it looked as if the light was emanating from the middle of the room. Just some context too, the lamp in question was originally owned by the location manager's wife who had passed and also went through the same funeral home that we worked at. He had brought it from home to use there in his office because it was no longer needed at his house. And that next day I went up there to check on the room and turn the lamp off. 
The only problem was that the lamp emanating the light the night before was sitting in the middle of his desk, not even plugged in. I was the first employee there that morning and no one had been there during the night for any reason at all. Also, when seeing the lamp on the night before, I know the funeral home was empty because I was the last person to leave. Now, these two occurrences aren't alone, but they are probably some of the most notable because I guess I just can't really explain them away. There are several hundred times that I felt watched or something seems to move in the corner of my eye. There's also been many times when I hear someone whisper hello or hey in my ear. There are so many that it's hard to keep when or how they happen straight to be honest, but I guess that that's just the baggage with the job. The second location though, at this location I actually lived in the top funeral home for a period of like 6-8 to eight months. It was because it was free room and board in a fully furnished apartment, and the ease of being able to just wake up and clock in in the morning without even having to drive anywhere is a luxury that most people don't think about. But the first happening was subtle, but not a completely subtle moment, I suppose. A few weeks into my initial move into the apartment upstairs of the funeral home, I was sleeping in my room upstairs and was awoken by the sounds of the stairs creaking as if someone was walking up them. It was 1am and I knew that no one was there but me. Because usually when a death call happens, I know about them because I'm called by my answering service to go and get them, I was sure that I was the only one there. At this point, I'm frozen in place, like who the heck would be there at this time of night without me knowing about it. All of the doors are locked to the funeral home and so is my bedroom door. The freezing continues though until whatever it is outside my door comes to it and knocks on it twice. I say nothing, but after several moments of complete silence, the creaking starts again but back down the stairwell. I sat totally still the rest of the night, couldn't sleep at all. Thankfully, nothing else happened, but I was absolutely rattled by that experience. Whatever that was knew that I was up there. I didn't like that thought at all too, but I had no other choice but to continue to live there because my financial position at the time, I couldn't really afford anything else. My second experience there was in the evening as well. I was eating a TV dinner in my kitchen there in the apartment. I looked up from my food and watched a doorknob turn and the door opened as if someone just walked through and shut it back. I just sat there mouth agape and was totally flabbergasted. I was also there alone that night as well. There were no breezes or change in air pressure or anything that could account for the door's closure. I don't know what happened that night but finally and the most recent... Yesterday, I was sitting on the couch downstairs on break during the middle of the day. I was alone again. If there's nothing going on as far as funerals or arrangement conferences on the weekends, we keep the doors locked and the lights off. I rose from the couch and was walking into the main hall of the funeral home and I noticed a man standing in the doors to the funeral chapel and I said aloud, Hey, you! He didn't turn or say anything. He just walked away from me and turned the corner. I followed him into the chapel to try and get his attention. I rounded that same corner and when I did, I found absolutely nothing. 
By this time, I was freaking out. The man was wearing a navy blue sort of pinstripe suit with a white collared button up, grey slicked back hair and was about the same height as me I think. He was an older fellow and was a little hunched over in the back. For reference, I'm 6'2". I immediately called the manager of the funeral home though, same as the other location, and told him what had happened and described this man. And he told me that I had probably seen his old manager who also lived in the apartment that I did currently several years ago. And it was at that moment that everything began to make some sense. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.